You're listening to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. I'm your host, Lizzie Benton, culture consultant and founder of Liberty Mind, and I want to inspire people to create unique company cultures where our human potential can thrive. In this podcast, I talk to organizations and employees about the impact of company culture. Together, we can make it thrive. Hello, and welcome back to Make It Thrive, Season 7, Water Cooler Conversations. Today on the podcast, I have Benjamin Drury joining me to talk about values, or more importantly, values that don't really get lived, the ones that get pushed from the top and are often more aspirational than actionable. Now, Benjamin is someone who is also like me in the world of culture, but Ben's background is far more fun and interesting. Benjamin is responsible for England fans singing Swing Low at rugby matches. He's been on Dragon's Den with his invention, Lace Ups. He's toured writing, directing and performing with theatre companies. And he's worked with some of the biggest companies on the planet. Benjamin, aka the culture guy, as he's well known, makes workplaces awesome. He works with extraordinary forward-thinking leaders to help build authentic, purpose-led, people-centered organizations fit for the 22nd century, which is no wonder why I have invited him onto this podcast to talk all about values. So let's get started. Good morning, Ben, and thank you so much for joining me on the Make It Thrive podcast. So today we're having a bit of a juicy conversation all around values, you know, the kind of values that are often sort of really pushed down from the top, the values that are often so aspirational rather than actionable, and the ones that we all kind of slightly giggle at when people say what their values are, but they're not really living them. So do you want to kick us off, Ben? What are your thoughts on values? It's funny. I love that last statement because that is all. Obviously, all the businesses that I work with, and probably quite a few that you work with, uh, they have this problem that we know what we're trying to build, but right now it's just a poster of some rowers on a wall. It does. We're not living it out. How do we make it count? How do we make it stick? How do we make people buy into it? And often, they know what they're trying to build but they can't articulate it and they haven't figured out how to connect it to everybody else in the organization. It's what I call, how do I duplicate behaviors? You know, how do I get, I know what I'm trying to build as a founder, as an owner, as an MD, I'm excited by it. And therefore my behaviors overflow from that excitement. How do I duplicate that? And that is what it means to really kind of get your values. It's essentially what I call the, um, the stick of rock effect. And if you're, if you're listening in, in Britain, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're listening around the rest of the world, in Britain, at the seaside, we have what we call sticks of rock, which is like hard candy, but written all the way through the stick of rock is the name of the town you bought it in. And that is what your value should be in an organization. It should be written all the way through the organization, like the British seaside stick of rock. <laughs> I love that analogy. I've never heard that one before. That is amazing, but it's so true. It's something that should, and I always said, it should always be thread throughout it. Like it should be the very, like you say, the core of the the organization. And I think it's really easy to come up with values and to come up with these lovely words that everybody likes the sound of, but it's so different when it actually 
comes into context so what do you see as like kind of one of the biggest pitfalls people make when it comes around values the simplest way to describe it and the biggest kind of mistake most people make is what they reward and what they punish because essentially that is what is going to drive people's behaviors in your organization so if you are if you've got a value and you're looking at collaboration you want your people to work together and we're about team and we're about stepping up to help each other out and then you're rewarding the top performers what's going to happen is that value going to stick is it going to be kind of lip service or are we actually going to collaborate or are you going to say look you as a team if you as a team hit this you are all going to win and if you as a team fail to hit this you're all going to struggle but on so- on top of that each of you has individual goals and if any of you are struggling to hit those individual goals then we're not going to hit our target therefore you've got to help each other you've got to support each other we've all got to pull our weight and it all comes down to that kind of what are you punishing and what are you rewarding in your organization and it this is where the subtlety comes in, where you talked about kind of coming down from the top. It's no good having kind of your middle management and your lower layers being rewarded and punished for one thing and your senior execs having a completely different set of rules because we're going to copy what the big boys do at the top. (laughs) And that's just the way it is. And I was talking to somebody the other day and they were saying they'd built this, they'd written out their cultural statement and their values And it was really clear that a member of the board was not adhering to the values. And the response from the executive board was, oh, it doesn't apply to us. Uh, And I was like, I was just like, no, your your company's on the way down. I'm sorry. Call me when when you hit the bottom. It was just, it was bonkers. Yeah, it's so true. I've had a lot of, I mean, I think in our line of work, Ben, I think you've probably had a lot of similar conversations where people have gone, Oh, yeah. So our director has come up with these values. And now we want you to train everybody else on how they need to behave. (laughs) It's like, oh, no. And it's it's a painful conversation to have that they don't seem to realize that you you can't, you know, just go in there and dictate dictate on how people should be behaving. This is, I think this is really clear. This is a real thing that we, we get wrong in organizations is that distinction between values and the behaviors that reflect those values. And this is, this is really, really key in the whole conversation around diversity and inclusion mm. because we can have a set of values and that can be kind of formulated from the top and we can go to people and go, this is what we're trying to live in this organization. And people will be fine with that. It's the next stage that people have a real problem with, where we come along and go, therefore, you have to behave like this. And I'm like, no, absolutely not. Let me tell you what the values are. Let me show you the play. I will draw the playing field. When you step onto the playing field, you behave in a way that's consistent with where the playing field is, but you've got a big playing field to play in. And actually, the way I behave and the way those values are outworked will be very different in different situations. And you've got to trust your people to define what those behaviors are based on their commitment to the values. So, the, you know, when you're dictating the values, I'll, I'll give an example for us. One of our values is we are cheerleaders and not critics. We believe that people can do amazing things when they're cheered on rather than criticized. So we, it's ingrained in our culture that whenever we meet with people, whenever we talk about them, we're trying to find the gold to cheer them on. And sometimes that takes the form of a challenge, but not, not criticism, if you know what I mean. So we do have those hard conversations, but ultimately we're about cheerleaders. But there are situations that I am rubbish at doing that. And therefore I couldn't possibly tell somebody else how to behave 
on what it means to do that. But other people who I work with are really good in certain situations. I'm like, go for it. I can't dictate that. You're just so good at making people in really, really difficult situations feel awesome, feel like they could change the world. Mm. It's not something I could do. And once you start to dictate what the outworking of those values is, you start to lose some of that beauty. You start to lose some of that color. And it comes down to the same thing in hiring. You know, when you're hiring, you want to hire people that believe in your values and want to live them out. But you don't just want to find someone that's culturally fit. You want to find someone that brings a cultural contribution. They're turning up with something that brings even more life to your culture. And that means they have to have the freedom and autonomy to behave consistent with the values, but in a way you never even thought was possible. Yeah, Yeah. I love that phrase so much, culture contribution. That is such an improvement on culture fit. <laughs> and I think it allows you to have that, di- to, to look, look at diversity and say, actually, yes, I don't need to hire people that are just like me because we've had the same experience and we share the same values. Yeah. You know, I've, compassion could be a core value. Compassion, it, you can find that in all sorts of walks of life, yeah. from all sorts of different people, from all sorts of nations. They express it in different ways, but... That's what you want. You want that different expressions. You want people to be able to operate and bring something new to the culture and the way you express. That is where the color comes from. That is where the the authenticity comes from. That's where the beauty comes from in bringing people together. That diversity that is not, we all do things differently, but we all share the same value and we are elevating each other's ability. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I think that's something that yeah, like you say, it's not often sort of discussed that actually these are the values, but it, there's there's like, like flexibility around people's behaviours. We don't have to do this kind of rigid military rollout of how everybody should be behaving. And I think there are situations where companies will be in a situation like, how do I get people to comply with the values? Yeah. I'm not even talking about behaviours. No, actually, we want these values. There are people in my organisation that just don't agree with them. And that's what they're worried about. So they come in and they go, right, we need to put control measures in. And my view is, no, you need to get rid of the person. They don't fit. That's fine. You know, it's okay. When we go through this process, there will be people that don't belong. And quite frankly, when you implement the values, they're not going to be happy. You're not going to be happy. So why are you both hanging on? What is the point? And I think there is a level to which you're, you're trying to negate that issue as opposed to facing it head on and going, well, actually, not all the people I have hired are the right people to do what we're trying to do. And that is okay. Therefore, let's hire people that find it really easy to live out the values in all sorts of different ways and all sorts of behaviors. But it means I don't need to look for control measures. Mm. I can look for measures for freedom and to lift people up and to bring life to things rather than, you know, bringing, what's the word, constraints to things. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, you're so right. And I think that's one of the things, I think that's, like you say, one of the things where people just fall down slightly that they have those values, but then they try to turn them into something, add those constraints, kind of add all these rules and policies and it gets layered upon layered upon layered. And before you know it, everyone's completely disengaged with the values and just thinking, wasn't this meant to be a good thing? (laughs) Yeah. And this is it. You know, once you start to get to policies, don't solve any problems. They are, if you if you if you're picking out the employee handbook out of a drawer to read it and look at point four point two point one, you're already in trouble. You know we should. It's like it's like building 
building the fence right on the edge of a cliff. If you fall over the fence, you're dead. Tell you what, let's 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 say these are, this this is where the cliff is. That's our policies and legal. Actually, let's start to build the culture way in from the cliff. Yeah. So if we get it wrong, there's room for us to get it wrong. Go, oh, you're on the wrong side of the fence there. Come on. <laughs> let's see how we can solve this. We've got to think like that. That actually, you know, we're way beyond policies. We want to build a people that aren't just looking to adhere to policies and constraints, yeah. but want to knock it out the park in the way they live out the values. Yeah. This is a value. This is what I'm told to do. I can go even further on that service level. I can, I can, I can, not only am I going to deliver service that the customer's pleased with, I'm going to get them talking about that, talking to their mates about it till their mates start to roll their eyes and tell them to shut up. That's the level. You want people operating on that kind of mindset that says, you know, bare minimum's not enough. I'm going out of the park on this one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And what do you think when it comes to getting people sort of buy-in from values? Because from my experience, it's been, you know, and developing those values as well, because like I say, sometimes it's very much people want to co-create those values, which I think is really powerful when co-creation comes into it. But there are some companies who are still very kind of autocratic in the way they work. So they still want to kind of, you know, have the scene, only the senior leaders come up with it and then it's kind of rolled out. Um, but it's, it's, I think it's quite interesting the way we kind of connect with work values and personal values. And do you think there's kind of like a, an in-between ground? Do you think we need to kind of find that soft middle ground? It's interesting. There's a couple of things in there. The one is about the co-creation. And I think there is, again, we need to kind of allow there to be a gray area that says, actually, no, we as leadership are going to make the final call on these are the values we want. Mm. But we want input. We want to know what you think of the organization. We want to know whether everybody else in the organization thinks this is a value or are there things that we need to do? Mm-hmm. Now, I, this is what we'd love it to be if we got there. And this comes down to something you mentioned about kind of aspirational values and things like that. Actually, some of the values that leaders come up with will be aspirational. Mm because they haven't done their homework to say, are we living this out on the ground floor? That's where the concept of co-creation needs to come in. You need to sanity check it. Yeah. And there are there are, there are three types of values. Patrick Lencioni talks about three types of values. The permission to play values. Now, those are the ones that say, I'm going to operate legally within the realms of the laws of a country. Now, I'm going to treat people with respect. Those are things that I'm like, they're just foregone clear. If you're not doing that, go away. I don't want to know. Then there are kind of aspirational values that say, we want to be like this, but we're not there yet. We understand we're not there. But then there are core values. And the core values are those ones that actually you would go out of business to protect. If you couldn't operate in that way, you'd go and do something else because it is so ingrained in who you are. And a simple example is, um, I don't know whether you've seen Southwest Airlines. There's a load of videos on YouTube for Southwest Airlines and their, um, their cabin crew and the way they kind of have fun when they're doing it. And one of their core values is absolute fun. So they'll do the safety announcements and they are hysterical. If you get onto YouTube, search Southwest Airlines, you will find dozens of videos and they're hilarious. Watch them. Um, but at one point they did a safety announcement on a flight and they were having the joke and they were messing around. They were just making travel a little bit less boring, quite <laughs> frankly, which, which is great. But one of their passengers wrote to the then chairman, Herb Kelleher, and said, this is a serious thing. You're making fun of a safety announcement. I don't think it's right. You shouldn't be doing that. And he wrote back a beautiful letter that said, we'll miss you. And he sent her off to book another airline. And he's like, <laughs> I'd rather lose a client than compromise that value because it is yeah. so important to us and who we are. That is a core value. Yeah. And I think I think what when things work really well, to come back to the original question, when things work really well, 
we are really clear on what those core values are and we are able to articulate them in a way that other people can emotionally connect with them. When other people read them, they go, brilliant, I want in, I want to work for you. And that is where you get this overlap between personal values and corporate values that actually I'm stepping into a place that shares my understanding of the world and the way I want to go about business and the way I want to do things. And they share my values about what work means to me. And therefore, I can operate in this space and I can do my best work. And I feel part of the tribe, for want of a better phrase. And when we get that right, and I think one of the issues leaders have sometimes is they're too professional and they write these mission statements and they professionalize it and they use proper business words and they they become real business people. And they write as if they're trying to get funding from a bank. And that is just so boring. Nobody's going to read that and think I want to be part of it. And one of probably the hardest part of our job is getting them to put the life back into yeah. it. Give me the heart of it. I was having a conversation with a client the other day. We'd been through the process and I'd written up the values as they told me. And I knew this was going to happen when we did it. <laughs> I sent them back and say, look, this is what you've told me. And she's like, no, that's just really boring. I'm like, I know. <laughs> because you wouldn't let me under the skin. So we had another session and I, I started to get under the skin and you could see the kind of color come into her cheeks and shoulders went back and life. And the, the values we dropped out of the bottom of that yeah. were just so exciting. And she kind of contained herself in that first meeting because she had to be professional. She wanted to be yeah. perceived in that way. And we lose some of the energy and some of the life and some of the joy of what we're trying to build. Yeah. And we have to get that out. So when we write it down, when we articulate it, other people read it and go, <gasps> count me in. How can I help? I want to be part of it. Yeah, 100%. I mean, one of my kind of pet peeves whenever is when people come up with about 15 values <laughs> and they send me this word document and I'm just going, no, please. It's so boring. And I'm thinking some of them even are just completely counter, you know, they, they basically don't even match up within it. I'm just thinking, where did you pull these from? You know, you're, you're actually like, so, I mean, that's one of my pet peeves. What, what is your thoughts when you when someone says, yeah, we've got 10 to 15 values? It's really, because this is something, again, that there's an education piece to go here to try and people understand. There's yeah. a difference between values and symptoms. <laughs> Often those 15 are symptoms yeah. of true core values. You know, we, when we talk, and I'll give you the words that you'll have seen in those lists. There'll be integrity. <laughs> Honesty. There'll be professionalism. They'll be responsible. They'll be reliable. Don't forget sustainability, Ben. Sustainability, yeah. All that, all that. And there's nothing wrong with that, but they tend to be symptoms of underlying core values. And when you dig down to the core values, and what, what you also find is that if you have that 15, you are starting to constrain the diversity you can have because they tend to be, because they're symptoms, they tend to be cultural outworkings mm. so this is how we do things in britain so punctuality <laughs> like well, hold on a second is that a value or is that just the way you want to do business in this particular country because that's culturally how we do business in this country yeah. it's not really a value yeah. um so but once you dig down to core values you know you talk about i want to be professional i want to be reliable i want to be honest well, why yeah well because i care about my client's success okay so now we're well, now we're getting to compassion and service here we're going a bit deeper mm. So is there, a, is there an empathy for the problems your client has? So, okay, there's, maybe we're talking about empathy now and reliability and professionalism and, and um, honesty are all about empathy for your client's plight. Yeah. So maybe empathy is your, is your core value. And so 
if once you get above four or five, I mean, five is the max. I've got a company that does have five, and I've been over them again. I'm like, yeah, that's probably right. That is five because they're all very clearly distinct. But once you get more than five, it's like, yeah. and usually, you know, three or four is, but it's really difficult to go above five without it becoming symptoms, really. So yeah, once you get a list of fifteen, I'm like, nope, throw it away. Let's start again. <laughs> it is, and I think. Do you think, I know, I mean, this is, again, this is one of those conversations where I think over the past year, especially, it's, you know, I think a lot of values may even be incredibly outdated. And, you know, you've got legacy companies who've maybe been going for 10 or 15 years. And let's be honest, they maybe came up with their values in a time that was very different in the world of work. And then, the 80s, <laughs> I love a good 80s value, me. And they're still trying to kind of live by them, but they're so out. It's like you're trying to put on an old suit, you know, it doesn't quite fit, but you're determined to make it fit. You're like, no, I'm determined to put this on. It's like that kind of determination to live by it, even though nobody's excited about it. Nobody can really engage with it anymore or understands where that value even came from. What, what, you know, what are your thoughts on that kind of resistance to change the values? It's really interesting because I've still got my wedding suit in my wardrobe and I'm like, one day I'll get back into it. <laughs> one day. I think we've all secretly got an outfit like that then. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that there's a couple of things. One is that you've got to ask them why. Why is this value so important? Mm -hmm. And again, it probably comes down to there's an underlying, there's an underlying core value that it reflects, yeah. but it is no longer culturally appropriate as the symptom of that value. And so, it, and it comes down to articulation and definition and are they, do they have the words to describe what they really mean versus what it's always been? Yeah. You know, and actually I'm just trying to think of an example on the fly. Um, <clears throat> You know, in the 80s, it was all about profit. It was all about profitability. And it's really important in business that you make, it's like oxygen. You have to make money, otherwise you're going to die. Welcome to business. But it doesn't necessarily hold the same power it does over business. You know, it's about sustainability. We need to make money so we can continue to offer value and build for the next person and the next person and the next customer and the next customer. But it's not about the money. But they're holding on to, we've got to make as much money as possible. So, well, hold on a minute. That's actually stifling our ability to innovate. It's stifling our ability to hire the best people because we're trying to cost, cost cut. Um, so you've got, to, you've got to understand the why. And often what you can do is go through, and this is something I always do is once I've checked the leadership, I'll go around and do a temperature check across the organization to make sure they're not lying to me. Mm. And what you'll find in that situation is that the rest of the staff will raise the reality and you'll find that what the leadership say and what the rest of the staff say doesn't quite overlap and there'll be hotspots. And you can use those hotspots to highlight the problem with what they're saying with that value. This is a real hotspot. And that often when you highlight it and you get the data, they'll go, yeah, we know that's a hotspot. Okay, now we can work on it. Oh, it's so true. It's one of those things, like you say, it's, it's that resistance to to change and one of those things that people really like it deep down but it's trying to help them unpick it and unravel it to kind of go well what's what's under the surface of this you know of this value like how can we kind of help you bring it to life or you know be a 2.0 for the new world or something so that it feels yeah. fresher and 
so that you can re-engage people with it. Because what I find a lot of the time is, you know, especially with those older organizations is maybe they've even changed teams so you know even the team that originally they had like the employees they originally had when those values were first rolled out aren't even in the company anymore and now you know you've got some young fresh blood coming in and they're kind of looking at the values going oh my gosh you know millennials and gen y's coming in going what are your values um and i think it's really important if you you know if you want to keep the workforce interested and passionate about what you're doing you you really need to to have that kind of emotional connection with values yeah absolutely and also are you going to attract those people are you going to attract the fresh people that are bringing life and are bringing the cultural contribution that we've already talked about unless you can articulate something that really inspires them and it's i think we have a we have a an aversion to packing up shop and going home in terms of there are some businesses that have run their course. That's okay. Yeah. Move on. Do something different. We're okay. I'm okay with that. You don't have to keep a business alive just because it was a business. Yeah. And I think we have to we have to think very carefully about, well, does this serve its purpose? Mm. And if it doesn't serve its purpose anymore, change it or close it. And then let's move on. Let's not waste time just limping these companies that are going to fail anyway i mean kodak's a great example although in the last year kodak share price has gone through the roof because they're looking at digital rights (laughs) management you're looking at what what do they call it nfts and all that kind of thing blockchain so that's fascinating how they've come back to life but they've limped it along for so long it's like come on guys just call it a day nobody's interested I mean, when it comes to values, I still get kind of people, you know, I mean, I'm sure you probably get the same when you go and do a talk somewhere and um, people are like rolling their eyes when you talk about values and they're like the the skeptics just sitting back thinking, oh, here we go. Here she goes. I love those talks. (laughs) I love it when that, because that to me is like a red rag to ball. Right. Challenge accepted (laughs) when you see those eyes roll. I'm like, okay, here we go. And what is your kind of I suppose, yeah, the, the, you know, the people say, you know, values, they're fluffy. Like, can you really live them? Is it, isn't it just something, you know, I get all of these questions, these skeptics coming up with them. And I suppose I'd love to get your feedback. Like, why, like, why do you think people are, are still so hesitant about values and don't believe their solid business foundations? That's a great question. And it is one that comes up all the time. And I think the bottom line is, because they've seen it done badly, because they've seen people say, these are our values, and then not actually live them out. So they're like, yeah, whatever. The last CEO said that, and he, you know, the first six months, he was all smiles and and hugs, and then it all just went downhill. (laughs) We've seen that all the time. But to me, values are only values if they cost you something. Yeah, 100%. They're only really true core values if you've paid for them Mm. in some way. And if you haven't paid for them, they're not values. (laughs) And the eye rolling and the tutting and the we've been on before are because they've seen values that weren't lived out when it cost. When push comes to shove, when the pressure's on, when it's actually going to cost to live out those values, they've they've ignored them and they've they've bottled it. Yeah. So that and that's the difference. I'm going to say they weren't values. Yeah. The true values are the cold, hard things that cost you money when push comes to shove. And that's not woolly. That is not fluffy. That is courage. That is 
painful courage. That is businesses almost going to the wall because they refuse. I'll give you an example. I don't know whether you know the designer, Martin Lambinane. He died recently, but he's responsible for the Channel 4 logo and the 2 logo and loads of other, the BBC 2 logo, loads of other things like that. He was massive. But before he kind of got those contracts and before he became a stalwart of the British kind of design institution, um, he essentially was really struggling as a business. And Richard Desmond came to him, who runs, I think he runs the Express, but he also run, he also ran um, some porn websites and some porn magazines. And he came to him and said, can you do this work? And Martin said, I can't. In all conscience, it's not work I want to do. I don't agree with it. I don't think it's right. But at the time, his company was basically one month from bankruptcy. He couldn't afford to pay payroll next month. And he sat his staff down and said, look, this is the financial situation. I do not want to take this work, but I realize your livelihoods depend on it. If you want to take this work, I will hand in my notice. I will find another job and you guys can do it. And he nailed his colors to the mast. And his staff said, if you don't want to do it, Martin, we've been here. If you don't want to do it, we're not going to do it. And he managed to, you know, that is a tough decision. You can't pay payroll next month and somebody's offering you money, but you still say no. Now he worked his way through it and they got out of it and he became massively successful as a designer and his organization became massively successful. But at the time, that is a really, really painful, costly decision. And that is a value. Yeah. Not we are going to treat our clients with respect <laughs> and we're going to have service. But actually, if they phone us up and it's going to cost us to really service the client, we're not going to bother. <laughs> That's not a value. That's just bullshit. <laughs> it's so true. And do you know what? I'm, I mean, I, I find businesses that are really getting passionate about that. So few and far between. And so many walk the walk and talk the talk. Um, but very few put, you know, action into place and... They're very good at painting it across social media of what they're about. And, you know, I mean, especially when it comes to some of it. Brutal, yeah! <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I had to get that in there. I apologise. And it's just, and it, it's when it comes to weeks like, you know, um, di- like, you know, Black History Month in October or Mental Health Weeks. And all of a sudden, all of these brands, you know, Pride Week was a perfect example a few months ago, where everyone all of a sudden is just changing everything to a rainbow. And you're kind of like, guys, are we just doing this because it's like the thing to do? Or are you genuinely taking action on being more diverse? Exactly. And this is something that I thought about doing something for Pride Week, change it. And I thought, no, actually, because I haven't actually stepped out and done anything else, you know, done anything behind the scenes when nobody was looking to support this. So it just seems disingenuous to whack it on social media. And so, you know, next year I'm like, okay, I need to do something before then. So when I do do that, I can say, no, I'm part of the solution, genuinely part of the solution, even when no one's looking. That, but that is the, that is really the crux of value, isn't it? That, when nobody's looking, when the chips are down, and this is Disney. I love this. This is, I went to Disney, I can't remember, years and years ago, probably when I was a teenager. And um, I remember wandering around and you see all the characters and they're giving kids hugs and they're having their photos taken with Goofy and Mickey and Minnie. And... But even when there are no kids around and they're kind of, there's kind of alcoves where they take the pictures so that they don't get people walking in the background. So they, there's kind of, alcoves and and cubby holes and things like that even when there's nobody there and nobody's really looking and the park is almost empty they're absolutely still in character 
fluffing flowers and smiling and dancing away, even when there's no, and I'm like, that, that is culture wow. where even when nobody's looking, they're getting on with it. <laughs> and I thought that was just genius. Loved it. Yeah, you haven't got Snoopy like scratching his ass or something. <laughs> exactly, having a fag around the back. Yeah. I didn't know you smoked Snoopy. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing. I love seeing examples of that. It gives me so much more like trust in the humanity of the world that, you know, there are people out there genuinely who are doing something and going beyond themselves to have courage and to do values. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's Disney hire the people that are willing to deliver that. Now, they hire the people that they know are going to be so up for it and so in character and so on it that they can trust them to get on with it. And that is what you've got to do as a business. Can you find the people that are going to bring a cultural contribution that are going to come into your organization? It's not a question of whether they live out the values. They just do because it's who they are. But not only that, they're bringing their own life and their own color and their own things to it. And that, that is what you've got to look at for hiring. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think as well, it says a lot about how people talk about their work. You know, if they're really, I always, when, well, when we used to be able to go to coffee shops, obviously we can now, I used to love sitting there and kind of overhearing people's conversations about work. Cause I was like, interesting. <laughs> because I think it says so much about the, you know the conversations we have when we think no one's really listening you know about work and about what's going on and so much comes through from those conversations and I always think you know and I always have these discussions what do you think your people say about your business and your culture when they're not here because that to people is like oh you know and we all talk about work we all sit around a in a restaurant or in a coffee shop and someone goes oh how's work and we you know we, we say it all you know without really realizing who's around or what's going on we're very open about where we work so it's very hard to hide a poor culture now more than ever it's it's very hard to hide it anyway you know because when you come into a toxic culture when you come into a culture that's not quite clicking you feel it as a human you might not be able to articulate it and you might not understand what you're feeling but you damn well know something's not quite right but i love that idea of and I'm going, to, I'm going to steal it, quite frankly. I'm going to go and sit in coffee shops, round, round offices where I'm working, yeah. round companies where I'm working. Just sit there and listen to people. That is a brilliant idea. I never thought of that. I love it. It's because I, I am a bit of a people watcher. I, I'm, the, I'm that person who sits in coffee shops and people watches. I love it. But yeah, also picking up those conversations, I highly recommend it. And it, it really draws out things, I think, and makes people think when you ask them that question, because for some reason, so many leaders still have it in their heads that people drop work at the door when they leave. And they don't. They take it home with them all the time. And it impacts their relationships at home. It impacts their mental health. It is such a ripple effect of work that it baffles me when they don't realise that people are still feeling and experiencing work outside of those four walls. Yeah, absolutely. And I've always said that... The job that I am doing is to make sure everybody goes home at the end of the day satisfied that they've done a good job, that they've been cared for, that they've done something worthwhile, and they can go home at the end of the day going, yes, what a day. That, to me, is when we get it right. And if every business in this country was doing that, imagine the change it would have on the mood of the nation. If everybody went to work excited, feeling like they were part of something, feeling like they agreed and belonged 
in the tribe and came home at the end of the day feeling like what they had put their hand to actually made a difference. That would transform the nation. Yeah. Flipping heck, don't we need that right <laughs> yeah, about now? We do. <laughs> Absolutely. We need a definite injection of excitement or an energy boost at least. So to wrap up then, Ben, what would be your biggest takeaways for someone listening to this who really wants to, you know, start making, taking their values seriously? <laughs> I think for me, it, it's, it's two questions that answer the same thing. First question is, what lines will you not cross in doing business? Because those are the ones that you're going to pay for. Those are the ones that are going to cost you. Those lines that you won't cross. They're your values. And the second thing is, like you said, if I, if I go around and ask your people what they think your values are, what would they say? Because that's your true values, isn't it? The way you actually behave. Not what you tell me they are, not what you stick on the wall, not what you write in a fancy document. What do your people say about the way you behave as an organization? Yeah, there you go. Well, thank you so much, Ben, for joining me today. I think we've probably given people a lot of food for thought. Um, for those of you listening, all of Ben's details will be in the show notes. So make sure you go and check him out. And thank you so much for joining me, Ben. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's always great to chat to you, Lizzie. You get so excited about the job when we do. Thank you, Ben. You've been listening to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast with me, your host, Lizzie Benton. If you've enjoyed listening and want to keep up with all things culture, don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to welcoming you back next week.